1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Great America Show, dedicated to the proposition that truth, justice, and the American way are essential qualities of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Ukrainians claim they've liberated the Kiev region and now control the city, its outskirts, and surrounding areas. While Russia says it's de-escalating in the Kiev region and pivoting its forces to eastern Ukraine and the Donbass region, which includes the Russian recognized republics of Luhansk and Donetsk. And it appears the strategy is aimed at an east-west partition of Ukraine. And reportedly, Russian President Vladimir Putin is insisting his military deliver him dominion over the Donbass region by early next month. Meanwhile, President Volodymyr Zelensky declares that Ukraine will never concede Crimea or any other Ukrainian territory and Ukrainians will accept only defeat of the Russians who've invaded his nation. Zelensky also demanded that western powers send him heavy weaponry and aircraft to carry on the fight against Russia, a fight that he seems to think He's winning the president of the European Parliament saying the people of Europe are standing with Ukraine and despite Vladimir Putin's warnings President Roberta Metsola said Europe will support Ukraine joining the European Union President Biden doesn't have enough challenges and threats to contend with with war in Eastern Europe and continued nuclear threats by Putin. And at home, inflation racing to just under hyperinflation levels and the prospect of a slowing economy. Biden is now pushing $5.8 trillion in his spending plan, which has no chance of passage, even with this rhino-laden House and Senate voting on it. Biden ended the Trump-era emergency rule to expel quickly illegal immigrants and refugees to Mexico or their home countries, All of this despite more than 2 million illegal immigrants who flooded into the United States in Biden's first year in office. And Biden's approval numbers continue to fall and then fall some more, while the country is more divided than ever under his presidency. Today, we're joined by Sean Davis. Sean is the CEO and co-founder of the evermore essential read, The Federalist. Sean, it's great to have you with us here on the Great America Show. I want to start out with a a Biden administration that looks to be in more than its usual uh, level uh, of trouble. Uh, Almost in any quarter you turn, the Biden administration is flagging. uh, It is lagging uh, and uh, in serious political trouble. Your thoughts.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Lou. I, I think you're correct. I have been surprised. Not by what the Biden administration has done, because I I fully expected them to do all the dumb things they're doing. I have been surprised by how quickly things have fallen apart. Uh, You look at the economy, you look at inflation, you look at gas prices, you look at our reduced standing in the world. These are all things that I would have very much expected to have occurred by the end of his first term. I did not expect things to go this bad this quickly. I mean, we're only 14 months into this thing. And the people I talk to a lot, uh, not in D.C., not New York, but regular people doing normal things that keep keep the country running around the country, they all say the same things is we didn't expect it to get this bad so quickly.
1: One of the barometers I follow is Chuck Schumer. Whenever things are going great for the Democratic Party or for him personally, uh, he, you can't get, keep him away from a camera or, or, or a reporter. He is almost invisible at this point and has been for some time, uh, rarely raising his head and maintaining the lowest profile I've seen from him, uh, I think, perhaps in uh, his career. Uh, your reaction to, to what's happened to Mr. Schumer and to uh, Ms. Pelosi?
2: So when I worked on Capitol Hill, gosh, 15 years ago, I worked for Tom Coburn, and Tom Coburn was involved in everything, which meant his staff were involved in everything. Mm-hmm. And the joke on the Hill around that time was that the most dangerous place in Washington was between Chuck Schumer and a TV camera. <laughs> so he has a very well-earned reputation for being uh, a real camera hog and constantly wanting attention. And you're totally right that he's he's nowhere to be seen um, now. Now part of that could just be that. Uh, Chuck Schumer is not the face of the party, and he's not the face of the opposition. Um, so w- when when I was on the Hill, uh, the Republicans had power, and so your your true opposition was probably the Democrat minority leader or a top Democrat in the Senate. Um, mm-hmm. But now with Joe Biden being being the head of the party as the president, yeah, you know, that could be one explanation. But but I tend to side with yours, which is that. Uh, he's not on TV because there's nothing to be crowing about on TV right now because so many things are unraveling for the Democrats.
1: Unraveling for the country as well, uh, whether it be uh, Ukraine and what I believe President Biden has managed to do with those five major mistakes that he made, misstatements, whatever you would like to call them, uh, but they were statements from the President of the United States, not personal statements, as Jen uh, Pasaki would like to have us believe, speaking as an individual. Uh, he didn't travel all the way to, to Poland and to Belgium uh, to make personal statements. Uh, it, it's stunning what they're doing. And the reality is that he is not responding well, and the staff is not responding well when he does make mistakes, as all administrations do. Simply acknowledge them, correct them, and move on is the smartest path every time. He can't do that. It's almost as though his DNA insists upon him first lying, saying t- absolutely baldly uh, to the press that what you just said is not true, and, and I never said such a thing. <laughs> when there's a video record, an audio record of everything. It's really a, a pig-headed approach that is costing the Democratic Party and I think will cost them dearly in November. Well, it's interesting. I,
2: I think it, that's taken a lot of people by surprise. They were led to believe that he was just good old, good natured, kind of quirky, fun, Uncle Joe. But you know, having followed this guy for quite a while, having seen his tenure in the Senate, his many previous uh, presidential runs, this is who Joe Biden has always been. He's always been a jerk. He's always been a loudmouth. He's always been a know nothing and he's never, ever had any interest in ever admitting uh, being wrong about anything ever. So I guess in that regard, that just makes him kind of a typical politician. But I'll tell you, I was actually really thankful for for what he said when he said, um, you know, good grief, this guy can't be allowed to remain in power because Joe Biden said out loud the thing that a lot of us knew his administration was doing, which is using Ukraine in some sort of idiotic ploy. Uh, to, to enact regime change in Russia and overthrow Putin. Now, they've been dishonest about it for years, but, but Ukraine has been the playground of these neoliberal interventionists for more than a decade. It, it, it's been a money laundering playground. It's been an influence peddling playground. Ukraine is essential to the graft and grift of so many people of the neoliberal foreign policy interventionist class and they, they have been pretending throughout this whole battle there that, oh, no, this is just about the Ukrainian people being free. This is just about, uh, you know, making sure that the sovereign nation uh, isn't attacked. Now, that may be part of it, but that was never their main goal. And the real gaffe that Joe Biden made when he said that was he made clear to everyone uh, abundantly in his own words from his own mouth what his administration's actual goals were there. And it's not peace and it's not stability.
1: And when you say neoliberal, uh, I immediately think of a triad uh, that is uh, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and George, George Soros. Uh, are those the names that you were thinking of when you said that? You almost had me. I was actually
2: thinking um, Hillary uh, and, and George Bush, kind of this idea in the foreign policy movement that... Uh, if just America shows enough power in the world and shows enough military might, whether it's in Afghanistan or Libya or Syria or Afghanistan or apparently now Russia, we can just bring enough military might, we can turn every country that's backwards into a flourishing, uh, peaceful, stable, Western-style civil democracy. So when I'm talking about these this neoliberal interventionist caucus, that's who I'm talking about. And I, and I think they're all high on their own supply, having watched the things they've
1: done <laughs> over the last 20 years
2: it's obvious they have no clue what they're doing, and yet reality is no barrier to their plans.
1: No, and it hasn't been for some time, as you point out. Uh, The reason uh, Obama and Soros and Clinton come together for me is the the energetic involvement of George Soros in Ukraine, the energetic uh, involvement of the Clinton Foundation, in ukraine and the the fundraising in ukraine the corruption that is rampant uh, throughout uh, that uh, that country and, uh, and i say is in the present tense because it is and has been for some time it's it is clear that putin recognized something that certainly the national media either didn't recognize or didn't want to acknowledge and that is that the United States uh, was messing around with a garden at their uh, footsteps, and they're not pleased about it, Uh, hence the devastation, destruction, and death that they've rained down on Ukraine. Uh, This is a very complicated issue, but it looks like it has a simple foundation. The United States, in point of fact, was supporting uh, laboratory research, uh, undefined, uh, in ukraine for what reason for what purpose and also uh, was playing very loose with the nato charter which is a defensive alliance not an offensive alliance and there's just far too much smoke and fire uh, on the part of nato in encroaching on the buffer zone at least as putin recognized it uh, in the uh, in the uh, eastern uh, part of europe uh, for his for his russia uh, your thoughts. Right. So so
2: what I find so frustrating in watching in the media is so many people are either rah-rah, let's do war, America best, bomb the bad guys, we're going to win. And then the other extreme is no war, nothing, no involvement whatsoever. And w- when I look at the situation, when I really look at any negotiation, whether it's between people or businesses or countries, I want to know what each side is is wanting. Yep. And our media has been so derelict in how it reports on this because if you look at Putin, and this is not to rationalize what he's doing or, or to make excuses right. for it, but the man has a reason for doing things. And over the past decade, it's become clear that for him, NATO encroachment on Ukraine is a non-starter, and the reason for that is geographical. You look at where Russia has its ports and its access to the Mediterranean, and it's through the Sea of Azov, which is on the eastern border of Ukraine and and, and Russia, and it's through the Black Sea. Now, when Putin took Georgia, that was the reason. When he took Crimea, that was the reason, because if it ends up that Georgia or Ukraine, along with Turkey, end up in NATO, suddenly that chokes off all of Russia's access to the Black Sea and to the Mediterranean, which is clearly a non-starter for them. And so this idea that we were going to get Ukraine in NATO, which nobody in the American government actually took seriously, it was always this thing we dangled out like, oh, better watch it, Putin, or we'll let him in NATO. Everyone knew, uh, at least on this side, that that wasn't going to happen. But what that did was it disincentivized Ukraine to kind of realize Russia's on our border, the bear's next door, We're going to have to figure out how to live with this menace, and we're not going to have NATO come to save us. But all that NATO talk led people like Zelensky and the Ukrainian government into thinking that the whole cavalry was going to ride to their rescue, which is how you end up with this situation there now, which is horrific war and destruction, where the best thing would be a very fast negotiated settlement. Ukraine's not going anywhere. Russia's not going anywhere. They're going to have to settle this thing. And so much of the U.S. media and foreign policy consensus is not focused on getting a settlement, but on using Ukraine and potentially perpetual war as a means of overthrowing Putin, which is absolute folly and will result in so much unnecessary, needless death.
1: And and no clearer example of the propensity that you're talking about, the personification of that propensity, uh, than uh, the moronic Mitt Romney. Uh, he uh, just glibly uh, saying, we'll put up a no-fly zone uh, and uh, the devil take the hindmost. I, I haven't seen such eagerness on the part of a senator uh, since, uh, frankly, John McCain to go to war. Uh, Lindsey Graham is running a close second. But there you have it. I, 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 I am stunned. 40 Republican senators baying at the moon and writing a letter demanding effectively war, that no-fly zone. Your thoughts.
2: Right, a no-fly zone is itself a declaration of war. It is no different than a shipping boycott, uh, cutting off ocean lanes for commerce, because how does one enforce a no-fly zone? You don't just declare it and people stop flying there. You enforce it by shooting down airplanes that aren't supposed to be in it. So what is the natural result from the US or NATO declaring uh, a no-fly zone over Ukraine? Ukraine, it means you are ready and willing and able to shoot down aircraft of a major global nuclear power. That is idiocy on stilts, and I kind of think it takes someone with so little familiarity with the costs of war, with what it does to people's bodies, with what it does to their souls. After all, this is Mitt Romney, a, a, a man who I'm not sure anyone in his family served, said his, uh, his sons, none of whom served in the military, Really serves their country by working on his campaigns and his political causes. So this gives you an idea of how divorced this man is from the costs and sacrifices of war. And it is I just find it, having watched Iraq, having watched Afghanistan, having friends have their lives altered there because none of those people, even if they come back, uh, is whole in their flesh. They're different people when they come back. They bear scars that people that don't see. And people in power in this country who don't really pay any attention or any consideration to that cost absolutely disgusts me because they treat war like it's a game. They treat it like it's the Red Sox for the Yankees. And I've quite honestly have had enough of them.
1: Uh, you and me both, and I've had enough of the corporate media that goes along with this as if it's just fine. Uh, it's simply a debate between the elites uh, who are given their space in the public consciousness and nothing should violate uh, that space, certainly facts. Uh, I, I am so appalled with the Republicans, 40 Republican senators. If I were, uh, if I were the Democratic president of this country, think about a far-fetched uh, proposition here, uh, I, I would hammer the Republican Party uh, bloody on it. Uh, and I think you could count another 20 points on Biden's approval numbers, which just might save an election. These are fools, and they think they're playing safe by demanding war and what it really reveals is biden wants war too uh, I, I, because there's no other explanation and so to, does the cabal that runs uh biden incorporated your thoughts right
2: and, and it's this under remarked upon dynamic i think especially on the right but also on the left the, the reason donald trump was elected in 2016 in large part wasn't just his populism and a general disgust with the political establishment He he was elected in large part because of his views on foreign policy. Uh, The American people had grown sick and tired of aimless wars, even if they may have been conceived with good intentions, being poorly prosecuted, costing trillions of dollars and thousands of lives and limbs of Americans. It's the same reason that Barack Obama was elected. He was elected because of the Bush administration's failures in Iraq, either whether you want to blame going there in the first place or mishandling it uh, when we were there. But unfortunately so much of the media is very much part of this you know neoliberal interventionist uniparty war they have an ideological investment in it there, there's something they just enjoy about saying well if you don't uh if you're not in favor of this it must be because you don't love this country or you don't love the ukrainians or something it, there's just something almost pathological about it but let's be honest war is great for ratings good for tv it's good for pundits it's good for magazines and it creates terrible incentives Uh, for people in Washington who are often far more connected to the media there than they are to their own constituents. And I think it's how you end up with a party in Washington uh, on both sides that is utterly divorced from the desires of its base. I don't think the Democrat base has any interest in going and starting a whole bunch of wars. And I know the Republican Party certainly doesn't. And yet we seem to be left with this uniparty in Washington uh, that is just eager and, and willing to go off to any new war that Lindsey Graham sets sights on.
1: Yeah, I, I, this uniparty party that you describe is a group of elites. Uh, it's the wealthy, uh, the donor class in both political parties. Uh, in, in the case of the Republican Party, uh, Donald Trump succeeded in, in the found, creating a new foundation for the Republican Party, in my judgment. And I'd like to hear your thinking on this. But certainly working men and women, their families, uh, small business people, the so-called forgotten uh, American. uh, And there's an absolutely wide open, everybody take a look, uh, breach between the Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable and the Republican Party, uh, whether it be on Capitol Hill or whether it be in fundraising and the RNC. It's a different, different moment And a great moment, I believe, for an opportunistic and energized Republican Party.
2: Yeah, there's very much uh, a realignment going on among voters. I think back to the early 2000s where Republicans were the party of big business, their party of tax cuts. Um, They were initially the party of small spending. That's gone uh, the way of the dodo. The the Democrats were the party (laughs) that was very skeptical of so-called free trade. They're very in favor of unions. They were the blue-collar party, and it's a wildly different scene now. I think the Democrat Party has become the party of rich white elites, of the wokes, of the big corporations, of the business interests, and I think it's the blue-collar, the people who are skeptical of free trade who are now finding themselves on the right, and I don't know whether Donald Trump engineered that or whether Donald Trump saw that. And that he saw that it's his opportunity it, it's sometimes kind of hard to tell but it is a wildly different scene now for both parties and both their bases than it was you know five or 10 or 20 years ago
1: yes i don't think it was in in the least intuitive i don't think it was just a happenstance uh, or serendipity uh, because if you go back Throughout his campaign, he is appealing to working men and women. He's talking about the forgotten American. He is talking about, uh, from the very beginning, uh, a a humble foreign policy. Uh, He takes on the Bush family for a purpose. And that was, uh, they were emblematic of the, as, as you're describing it, the neoliberal investment in foreign wars, preferably with a country of approximately a 30 million population, uh, and a Stone Stone Age military that could be easily swatted. Uh, Those, you know, I think that's an apt description of uh, certainly Iraq. Uh, It's certainly an apt description of Afghanistan uh, and wherever else we put our troops, all 100 plus countries in which we suddenly had troops. It's now being re-engineered by this president, uh, you know, Robinette Biden, uh, is, is really quite something because without, without intellect, without knowledge, he is pursuing a, a foreign policy and God help us all.
2: Right, and, it, and it's, it, with Biden, you almost have to set aside the ideological kind of use of foreign policy and look just at the blundering, duttering idiocy that his administration is. Um, there's a reason Putin didn't try what he did with Ukraine when Donald Trump was in office, and I think it's because so many leaders thought Trump was insane, and if they so much as stepped out of line, he'd nuke them. And there's a certain genius to that, and I'm not sure there are many politicians or many leaders who could have pulled that off the way Trump did just because of his persona. But but when you look at the history of foreign policy uh, in the US, I, I think Trump really did return – to America's kind of Jacksonian roots, where we, we want to be left alone. We don't want to mess with you. But if you mess with us, uh, we're going to end it. And I think that departure started really with George W. Bush, with his presidency. Recall that he ran in 2000. He sat in the, in those debates with Al Gore and promised that America wasn't going to do nation building because right. the people were so upset by what they had seen uh, in Eastern Europe and Serbia and all that that Bill Clinton was doing with what had happened in Somalia. And Bush came in there and said, yeah, I get it. No, no new nation building. And, and then you know, within nine months, he had completely changed his view and decided that in order to beat terrorists who we let into our country through a garbage immigration system, we just had to go to war with them all around the world, uh, hell or high water and the Cosby I, I I think we can all look back on that now and acknowledge it was a failure, regardless of where we may have been at the time, whether we supported Iraq or Afghanistan, those options clearly failed and they cost us greatly. And they gave us what we have now, which is a doddering old fool in the White House and a a government that that leaders across the world simply don't take seriously. I mean, we we lost a war to a bunch of inbred 7th 7th century mountain goat herders in Afghanistan. That was supposed to be impossible. And, and yet it happened because we had a government and a military and political leadership who were so unfocused. And, and we wonder why Putin rolls into Ukraine. We wonder why Xi Jinping is newly assertive. Of course, they're doing this because no, not only are we no longer respected, we're not feared either. And that is a really, really bad spot to be in uh, for any country, let alone the United States.
1: You know, this spins out a number of issues. And, and uh, you as entrepreneur, businessman, uh, as well as journalists and, and running a, a, a terrific editorial uh, outlet. Uh, there is also a, within the beltway, this view that, they, that there is a, has to be an acceptance. As you mentioned, uh, Trump's uh, persona, uh, Trump's uh, taking advantage of the fact that he was unpredictable and might be rash even, uh, would in fact, Everything from the beginning showed a man who was trying to bring our troops home, a man who was trying to balance trade and not squander more wealth uh, through, the, through the external debt uh, that results from trade deficits. Uh, he was a man who wanted people to have a tax cut because government certainly was uh, offering no premium for the vast trillions of dollars in taxes that they receive every year. It's, it's a sort of stunning myth that was generated by the media itself, the elite uh, corporate media, and then traded on by the rest of the elite media, creating a separate reality of perception. Uh, and by that, I mean a perception uh, in the public consciousness that had nothing to do with the reality of the man, his purpose or his policies. Do you disagree? Oh, no,
2: I don't disagree at all. I I actually think that the corrupt corporate media in this country are the single biggest threat to American liberty, to American freedom, to American prosperity, because they have shown us clearly over the last five years, whether it's big tech, whether it's CNN or Washington Post or New York Times, they have shown us they will do anything, they will say anything to maintain power. They don't care if it's false, they don't care if they're lies, they don't care if it's nonsense, just, just look at the whole Russian collusion hoax where they peddled a dossier they all knew was a bunch of, of nonsensical lies, pushed it for years to overthrow a president who was a threat to their own power. Uh, look what they did during the 2020 election. Uh, all the things that they had said and alleged about the Trump family, Donald Trump himself, his, his sons, is actually true of the Biden family. Right. You know, when you look at Hunter, when you look at Joe using uh, his family, using his name and his access to make money. Uh, and, and so how did the media respond when those facts started coming out, when Hunter Biden's laptop uh, confirmed all the money he was taking from Chinese oligarchs, from Ukrainian oligarchs? They shut the story down. They claimed it was false. They banned you if you shared it. And and That's what we're dealing with now. And I honestly don't know how we continue in this country with a media that is so hostile to reality, so hostile to truth, and so willing to use its power to shut down and destroy anyone who says something so simple as, boys and girls are different. that They are a threat to this country. And until they're dealt with, until they're taken care of, I I don't know how we continue as a country.
1: I, I have the same concerns, and I, I believe they run just as, as deep as your own. Uh, and I can't offer an optimistic statement at this point, but I can say this. If those who are not corporate media outlets will repair to a standard of truth, uh, that is, deal with the reality, do not accept the corporate outlet view of uh, the manufactured. Uh, you know, optics uh, of uh, reality that they like to spin up every day uh, and and take on the reality. Uh, it, it's that, to me, it's that direct, that simple, and that, of course, hard uh, to, to execute. Uh, because we have so many failures, it's time for some success. And one of the things, the least it seems to me, that we could do is each of us uh, absolutely commit ourselves to, uh, to truth. Uh, and not go along with this, you know, nonsense that truth has three or four different sides. Truth is truth, and it's inherent upon uh, our journalistic operations that is independent of corporate ownership uh, to really go there and stay there and fight like hell. Don't you think? Amen. So I want to I want to ask one question that's obvious, I, I suppose here. And, and I don't see anybody really dealing with it in the Republican Party or in the media. Why not? Why has this, uh, this White House refused a cognitive test for the fellow you described as a doddering old fool? By the way, I, I will be a signatory on that description, if you like. Uh, why, why is it so difficult for him to say yes to that? Donald Trump turned around and took a cognitive test almost immediately when the Democrats wanted that for a talking point.
2: Oh, we, all, we all know why they won't. I mean, recall that if uh, Trump was walking up the stairs and paused for a second, they said, oh, he's, he's crazy, he's not physically or mentally stable, we got to do the 25th Amendment, or if he said, you know, good morning at 12.01 p.m., oh, he doesn't even know what time it is, this guy's crazy, we got to get him out of there. Uh, there's a reason they're not giving Joe Biden a cognitive test. We can all see it. Everyone with a brain can see it. Uh, everyone has seen Joe Biden in the something like, how long has he been in the public eye in public office, like 500 years at this point? We've all watched it. We know what he looks like five years ago and 10 years ago. We remember what he was like and his debates with Paul Ryan uh, in, in 2012. It is not the same man today, and there's only one explanation for it, and it's either dementia, senility, or severe co- cognitive decline. We all see it. There's no papering over it. So, of course, the people in the White House who control him, who are actually calling the shots, are not about to go put him under the microscope and then release the lab results.
1: And speaking of calling shots, do you have uh, a sense of who is in the cabal, the steering committee uh, of the Biden administration? I really don't.
2: I, I can guess. I can speculate. They, they don't exactly give us conservatives at the Federalist uh, a lot of access to the inner workings uh, of the— uh, Biden White House. I suspect, however, that much of it is through Susan Rice. I think the Obamas are probably controlling a fair amount of it. I I, I don't think there's anyone on earth who thinks that when he had the opportunity to pick his vice president, that Joe Biden went around and said, you know what, I want the person who is so unpopular, she had to drop out of the entire primary before a single vote was cast. And that's who I want by my side. I, I think Kamala was picked for him after he had acceded to it, the deck was cleared for him in the primary. Uh, I suspect the Obamas are behind that and they're behind much of what's happening now, but that's just pure speculation on, on, my, on my
1: part. Well, I'm going to ask you to speculate as we conclude here uh, on one other aspect. Uh, William Barr comes out with a new book. Uh, in the interviews for that book, he acknowledges uh, what he wrote which was that he knew Joe Biden was lying through his teeth in that final debate about his son's laptop. Uh, And then he said he didn't want to intervene in the election of 2020, which is palpable nonsense. But secondly, he said that that rose to the level of intervention on the part of uh, Joe Biden uh, when he intervened in the election by lying. Are you stunned that a lawyer of his repute and a man of his responsibility for uh, his tenure as attorney general is so uh, so weakly reasoned uh, and to I the think I'll probably, of the country?
2: I think I'll probably disagree with you
1: a little on that. Um, All
2: right. I, I, think, I think highly of Bill Barr. I think he's a good man. I, I'm not sure there is anyone else in the country who would have looked at the Russian collusion stuff, torn it apart, put a special prosecutor on it the way Bill Barr did.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But when you look at the things he wrote before coming in to that office, I recall he wrote a long letter to Rod Rosenstein uh, when Sessions was still AG and, but recused and Rosenstein was acting AG, laying out all of the problems with the Mueller probe, how it was inappropriate for DOJ to be involved in this and that, that it was rank political intervention i think barr believed in his core that it wasn't doj's job to be interjecting in those types of situations it, it wasn't the ag's bar, the ag's job to be fact-checking presidential candidates especially after what happened in 2016. now i totally understand why people disagree with that why they're frustrated one of the frustrating things about being a conservative is that we're always playing with one hand tied behind our back while the other uh, party gets everyone together and, and you know, beats us up as a gang. So I totally understand the frustration. I feel it quite often. But I am, I'm sympathetic to Barr's rationale. I think he truly did believe that DOJ needed to be nonpartisan. And that was a major reason he took that job, uh, was to clean it up. And so I'm, I'm not quite willing to say it was an awful decision or an unprincipled decision. I'll just say that I, I think he had good reasons for it. And I also think people have good reasons for being very frustrated with how it ended.
1: Yeah, I I accept everything you said. Uh, I'm sure he's a fine fellow. Uh, I'm sure he has the best of uh, intentions, uh, highly principled. Uh, My problem is with his logic and with his responsibility as as attorney general. When he lied, when president, uh, then vice president, uh, former vice president Biden lied uh, to the American people, and gave shelter, gave shelter uh, to his son. It was an act that is without question, not about fact checking, it is about his responsibility as attorney general as the top law enforcement officer in the country. Uh, I just can't imagine that he allowed the American people to be uh, hornswoggled and lied to is a matter of quote unquote principle. I don't see the principle, the ethic in that at all. Help me out.
2: Well, I, I think the, it, it, I think because the they changed of, history would be, it, they did, but it's not DOJ's, uh, again, I'm not arguing my point of view here. I, I, I'm trying to understand, sure. like when we talked earlier about understanding, you know, what is Putin trying to get here? What is this per, person mm-hmm. trying to get here? I think he did not view DOJ's job as going out and saying, this candidate lied or that candidate lied. And I think that's defensible. Now, it would be one thing if Joe Biden, if they had Joe Biden dead to rights doing illegal things, they knew about it, they knew he was selling influence and getting rich off of it and corruptly selling access. If they had that evidence, of course you have to charge. Now, maybe it's not, uh, uh, maybe it's further past the election or further before the election, I don't know. But I feel like this was a different thing Um, going out and saying, well, no, that candidate lied. Um, I I just I think it was a very difficult position he was put in by uh, previous people in that office and then that department who had so damaged that institution. I mean, it's hard to look at James Comey and think there has been a worse, more destructive individual to American law enforcement, to the FBI and DOJ than that guy. And I think Barr looked at that and said, however he played, I'm going to try and do the opposite. He did the stupid Hillary press conference. I'm not going to do anything.
1: I, you know, I, I take your point of view. Uh, I absolutely, I, I I cannot imagine uh, with history turning on your decision uh, and letting a man lie to, to millions of Americans about. The circumstance and the content of that laptop and remember remember this the justice department all that time had hunter biden's laptop they knew what was in it they knew the connections that were made uh, uh, and they had not only that they had anthony Weiner's laptop they have something that most people have even completely forgotten about they had all of that vast sea of information and william barr decided not to intervene in an election Uh, He also decided that it was a perfect election. That's astonishing. I mean, absolutely astonishing. But you know what? We always give our guests the last word. And this is uh, your opportunity. Sean, we thank you very much for being with us here. And uh, take it away.
2: Well, Lou, it is always such a pleasure to be on here. I love talking with you. I love that we can have extended conversations and disagreements. So thank you for having me on. It's, uh, It's a true privilege.
1: Thanks, Sean. Sean Davis, CEO of The Federalist. And now we turn to the lawsuit that President Trump has filed against the people, the organizations, and firms that he believes are responsible for what he initially called the Russian hoax, the effort to block his candidacy to be president and then to overthrow his presidency after he was elected. By 2020, many of us were calling that conspiracy and persecution against President Trump the biggest scandal in American history. And our next guest is Alina Haba, President Trump's attorney who's representing the president in the multi million dollar lawsuit against Hillary Clinton, the DNC, and the other defendants. Alina Haba, great to have you with us. I'd like to begin with the timing of the president's lawsuit. What precipitated this timing of the lawsuit's filing?
0: The uh, multiple investigations, mainly the Durham investigation that has come down with some indictments, has been really chilling for uh, the former president and uh, his affiliates in really diving into what has taken place, what he presumed was taking place, but now knows um, through Durham's uh, research and um, in his latest uh, motion, basically, where he's looking into the conflicts of interest. It was really telling where we could see that the VIPs, as he calls them in many of his indictments, um, implicate uh, Hillary Clinton herself and the Clinton campaign, etc. So it was time, you know, we, we were kind of learning as, as he was. It's, it's a very deep dive.
1: The, the Durham investigation has been remarkable because it suddenly it appeared out of nowhere, the, the December filings. Uh, and we knew, we knew what had happened. But to see the special counsel actually, uh, after more than a year, uh, proceed and to have actual legal, uh, legal action uh, going, uh, going forward. Uh, you know, ful- fulfilling uh, the, the the charge that William Barr, the attorney general, then under President Trump, had given him. Uh, and it's very clear that this is only the beginning of the Durham investigation uh, and the, the result of it in terms of legal action. Right.
0: I think that what I started to see happening with Durham's investigation, the way he's building it up, and I've spoken to numerous uh, people that are incredibly intelligent have been um, involved in in the long run. But it's very clear that what he's actually doing, the specificity of his indictments and the opinions are not overreaching. They're not broad. They're very specific. And that I believe he is, in fact, building his own RICO case where he's taking his time with each individual that he's indicting to connect the dots. and. When you look at the motions in conjunction with the indictments that he put in place, it's really clear that he can see the connection all the way to the top. So as he would bring out these indictments, I'd read them and I could see this formation. And then I started doing my research. And, you know, of course, with the help of former President Trump, who lived this, lived this and has been saying it, now we have some substantiation. Now we're starting to see that there's real evidence. That what he's been saying all the all along was really happening, and was happening in a major way. I mean, look at the FEC uh, just a couple of days ago. You know, she they they the DNC and the Clinton campaign paid fines to the FEC for exactly what this case is addressing.
1: And, and in and of itself, th- that is another development uh, that supports the facts that you're uh, alleging in your lawsuit, uh, right. and it also supports what everybody quote-unquote, knew uh, that Hillary Clinton, uh, Christopher Steele, uh, Bruce Orr, all of them, this list of names, the defendant names in your lawsuit, Uh, Hillary Clinton, I just want to go through a few for the audience, Uh, Michael Sussman, indicted by uh, the the special counsel, John Durham, uh, going through to Perkins Coy, the law firm for Everything that the uh, Democratic mm-hmm. uh, National Organization yeah. does, it seems. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Jake Sullivan, now the National Security Advisor to President Biden, John Podessa, then the campaign chairman, uh, Orbis Business Intelligence, that's the firm I believe that uh, was uh, or is uh, Christopher Steele's uh, operating entity. Uh, right. Rodney Joffe, the tech executive uh, who apparently had access to uh, to communications at the White House itself, James Comey, mm-hmm. uh, who has disappeared from public view for some time now. Uh, I, I want to go through a few of those names with you uh, to give the audience some a better sense of where they are. Uh, and, and let's start with, uh, right now, Perkins Coy as a defendant going after that the, probably the biggest and uh, best known uh, democratic law firm in the country.
0: Right. Uh, Perkins Coie is effectively the DNC, right? They're, they're an arm of anything democratic. It's, it's surprising to me as a lawyer. Uh, this one was a tough one because I, it's disappointing. You know, we're attorneys, we have ethics. And as you know, I have other lawsuits that involve attorneys where I believe they're really not, um, taking their ethical obligations seriously. So effectively what happened was they used Perkins Coie and they being the VIPs in the indictments, you know, uh, we can assume now it's Hillary Clinton, the Clinton campaign, um, and those affiliated with them. They used this law firm and used the privilege that law firms have with their clients, attorney client privilege, to shield themselves from liability, so they thought, right? So they said, okay, we know how to structure this. We're going to get a law firm involved. Our law firm is effectively an arm of us. They help fund the DNC. They help fund, uh, they negotiated. I mean, imagine, they negotiated uh, a joint fundraising agreement with the Clinton campaign and the DNC, where effectively the former Democratic candidate, Hillary Clinton, ran and controlled the funds of the DNC through an agreement that Perkins Coie did. So imagine, you know, how I don't even know how they don't have a conflict, but they're representing both sides of an agreement. And then what they do is they're going and doing operative work. They're doing, uh, going through hiring Fusion GPS, hiring uh, Orbis. You know, it's going down the chain and specifically stating Mark Elias who was a partner at Perkins Coie, general counsel for the Clinton campaign and the DNC. He told Fusion GPS. He told them, look. There is an attorney-client privilege, and he made it clear that he was the go-between to shield the VIP, so that there was privilege, and nobody could communicate with each other, so that he could maintain that privilege to shield them.
1: And Mark Elias, his, his hands, uh, his uh, his hands and his brains are all over right. the election of 2020. Uh, he was in, involved in all, uh, almost every aspect of that campaign, uh, setting up uh, state legislators uh, to, to build the absentee voting uh, structures uh, behind the predicate of uh, all of that activity, uh, which was to deal, of course, with COVID uh, and all of the larger margins that were granted as a result uh, in election law, so that people would have, quote unquote, have uh, the ability to, uh, to vote uh, right. despite the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, another name, Robert Mook, uh, mm-hmm. tell, him, tell us about him.
0: The Elias the comment that we just discussed was actually in, in Simpson and Fritch's book in writing. <laughs> which is they bragged about it. I mean, it's ridiculous, but going to Robert Mook, uh, you know, he was the campaign manager for the Clinton campaign. Um, him and Philip Ryan, who was the communications advisor for the Clinton campaign, they made numerous defamatory statements regarding the Trump Russia collusion. They basically fed the monster, right? Being left-wing right. media, needing that speeding frenzy for lack of a better word. They helped push it and being, you know, the CEO, uh, effectively, of these campaigns, you know, along with Jake Sullivan and, and John Podesta, you're effectively pushing a false narrative that you know you're paying for. You know you've hired a law firm to push. That's, that's their implication in this.
1: Yeah, and, and that is an important construction that you've just said there. Uh, mm-hmm. they, <laughs> these people knew what was going on, uh, most of them. Uh, they knew what the truth was. They had mm-hmm. organized the disinformation, which was the point of the whole thing, uh, in order to create uh, the grounds for eventually the special counsel. Uh, it's a, mm-hmm. It is a, 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 an invidious uh, construction, uh, conspiracy, uh, a, and effort politically, that I hope mm-hmm. has never been, uh, I hope it's unprecedented, It's certainly one that I've never, uh, never seen or heard of. Uh, This is going to be, I would think, difficult in court to prove, though. Uh, How difficult do you think it'll be? Uh, And what do you see as your advantages as you go uh, uh, into the legal process?
0: Yeah, I think the difficulty here is going to be, uh, you know, the number of attorneys that we're going to be dealing with in size um, because of how many defendants there are. But in the flip side of that, right, that cuts both ways, it's intentional. You, you know, we have everybody in one fell swoop because to do multiple lawsuits on the same set of facts and divide them up would actually lose the big scheme. So it had to be done this way. As difficult as it is, it it has to be done this way. Civil RICO is in itself, you know, a difficult claim, but the benefit that my team has here is that, like we discussed, you know, we had Mueller, we had uh, Durham, Durham in particular, really outlines and proves, frankly, a lot of the items that I have claimed here um, to be true. And with the indictments, coupled with, the fec payment which you know they did say was not indicative of uh, you know they signed, they signed and wrote the check but they said this is not an indication of our guilt uh, okay but you did and you know at the end of the day that helps my case so we did it this way it, it obviously is a, it's a tough case given the parties and unfortunately some of the corruption that we've seen you know we can only hope we get a fair judge who's going to look at this and look at the Durham indictments and look at all of this history and be able to put this together. And we drafted the complaint in a way that I think makes it very clean and clear.
1: And how difficult is it going to be to proceed against, for example, former DNC chairwoman uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, she had some interesting uh, activities going on uh, in that period. Uh, the, The lost laptops, the uh all sorts of allegations against her uh mm-hmm. and qu- questions raised about her conduct uh, but where does she's where where does she stand uh, amongst the defendants how important is she is what i'm asking i
0: mean she was chairperson of the dnc in the scheme of importance you know i would like to say they're all important of course as an attorney right. i should i should say they're all important but they're they're you know, she made several defamatory statements she continues to regarding the Trump-Russia collusion. She pushed the narrative and she likely knew was false. And um, due to her role in the DNC as chairperson during the most relevant time period, um, she's pretty important. You know, she's kind of the DNC figurehead at at this point when it comes to this case.
1: And of course, James Comey, director of the FBI, He's certainly yep. taken on a low profile for a guy who is writing books and sitting on every television show that he could get uh, get to. Uh, something has something has changed. Yeah,
0: yeah, that tends to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, he was the director of the FBI. Obviously, he signed three of the five, the warrants, um, you know, but he knew they were based on unreliable information. And a lot of people don't realize that it's kind of granular. I, I did speak on Hannity about this the other night, but basically he had been b- advised by the CIA that the Clinton um, the Clinton campaign was plotting to falsely implicate Trump as colluding with Russia, and he withheld that pertinent information from his FIFA applications, um, including that the Steele dossier was funded by the Clinton campaign and DNC, and that's a material uh, that's a material um, you know omission. So. That's where where James Comey comes in, among other things. But, yeah.
1: Well, Trump supporters, obviously, the Republican Party, which is the Trump Party, uh, are Mm -hmm. eager to see how this progresses. Lay out for us a bit of a roadmap in the legal system as to where you expect this to go and over what period.
0: Sure. Uh, This is going to be a long haul for sure, but we're not really... The goal is not to get to the end of the case in this one, I have to say. I think my goal um, for the former president in this situation is to get through um, numerous motions to dismiss, which we're going to be getting, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, they'll they'll be based on all kinds of claims. And hopefully we get through that. And once we get through that, we will be left with the core group of defendants that we need to get through to discovery. And that's the key. That's kind of what is under wrap with the Durham investigation that the world cannot see. But through our depositions, through document production, um, and that'll be probably in the next year or two, it's going to be voluminous. But having all this information was really going to let us see what was going on.
1: The legal system itself is, is a left-wing enterprise. I don't know if you would argue that, but uh, that's my my judgment.
0: I wouldn't argue.
1: Most attorneys are are, are liberal, progressive, socialist, you name whatever they are, uh, but they're left wing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Most of the judges are left wing, uh, irrespective of their title, Republican or Democrat. Uh, uh, John Roberts, the chief justice, famously saying there are no Trump judges, Bush judges, or... uh, are Obama or Clinton judges? Well, they're all of those and more, uh, and you mm-hmm. can almost—it's—it's almost it's, it's a almost, uh, I, I, well—it's an accurate guide to what they will decide. Uh, there are exceptions to it, but uh, it's a t- my point being, it's a left. Well, uh, there's a stacked deck here, as the president would put yeah. it. This is a rigged yeah. deal. Uh, the right. courts are anti-republican; they're pro-Democrat, uh, and this is. Man, if there were ever a, a, a lawsuit that goes across all of the fault lines, left and right, liberal and conservative, Republican and Democrat, it's yours.
0: Right. Right. It's un-American what happened. I think that's really what you're saying, right? It's,
1: yep, absolutely. it's
0: not about your it's un-American. And if we care at all, you know, in this in this woke culture, if we care at all, and obviously I am a republican i am very conservative but i have young children and i cannot imagine my children being raised in this world that we have created and i don't blame one party over another but i i i think that the lack of commitment to our constitution to the fundamentals of this country has led us down this rabbit hole and um I really hope that people can see this. And and I have to say, I think the media in in the scheme of things is realizing they can't bash this as much as they would anything else because nobody wants to stand for this. You know, we don't want Watergate times 100 ever to happen again. And this is what this is. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, So, you know, it cuts both sides. A lot of the cases that I argue are, you know, Westfall Act, presidential immunity, things that don't really have to do with your party affiliation but have to do with the core values of this country. And this, this is really the mother of all of that, right? I mean, that, this is what this case is.
1: Yeah, I, I wish I could be as positive in my outlook on the legal system that uh, this is a case where people will rise uh, to their better natures uh, and do the right thing and remember that this is a constitutional republic. Uh, but I don't think so. And, and I've got experience. Yeah. <laughs> I've got experience. to no, I know. Just that. And, right, right. and when we look at what has go- befallen this president, here is a president who was attacked by his political opponent in a presidential election, using the good offices of the FBI, the Justice Department, uh, M, uh, an MI6 former agent, uh, <laughs> all sorts of uh, left-wing activists in the permanent bureaucracy and the deep state, all conspiring to help defeat Mm -hmm. a Republican candidate so that they didn't have to worry about the election uh, in November. And then Mm -hmm. horror of horrors to those folks, that candidate managed to, because of the force of his personality, uh, and his intelligence, uh, he was able to connect with the American people and get elected. And then Did the conspiracy end? No, it expanded, it enlarged. <laughs> and what we witnessed now for six years, uh, we're actually entering a seventh year, is a president has been persecuted by the, by the United States government, by state governments, by <laughs> corporate America, Wall Street, which, by the way, they ended up more aligned with communist China than they did the president of the United States when he was in office. Right. Right. What this man right. and his family have gone through is outrageous. And I, if he's going to sue somebody, I'd I, I love where you've begun. But how broadly should his uh, red, uh, his uh, grievance and his uh, search for redress go? Because I think it should be expansive, if not universal. Right.
0: Yeah, that's definitely going to be his approach moving forward. I know, you know, pre-presidency, that would have been his approach. And, you know, he was busy running a country and focusing on that for four years. And um, this is really the beginning of the wave of him stepping up and taking care of business and those that attack him. Uh, unwillingly and think they can say what they want to say and make up stories about himself, his family.
1: um, Which they continue to do.
0: You know, they continue to do it. But the only way you stop that, you know, there's, there's an attorney that I often is my adversary and she made a comment. I'll leave her name I mean, it's a Google-able, but yeah, but yeah, she made a comment and said the only way to get Donald Trump is to just keep suing him. Well, not really. I'm sorry, you say know, that again. Trump, she said the only way to get Donald Trump is to keep suing him.
1: Right. I believe,
0: um, I don't want to misstate the name, but she, she said that, and it's jarring to me that that's what people's beliefs are. And they use the left-wing media as an arm of the judicial system to carry out the fake agenda of painting him— like a horrible racist um malicious person history will serve Donald Trump very well I always tell him that you know history is going to serve him so well he was a great president and at the end of the day you know I'm his attorney I'm not his political campaign manager but uh you know what's going on in the country today is is a little frightening
1: yeah it's it's a lot frightening and as I listen to you I, I think that you have a a worldly view uh, as an attorney, uh, but I also sense that you never would have believed before you started representing the president uh, that the corruption was this widespread, this pernicious, and uh, this committed to uh, to the politics of personal destruction.
0: Right. right. I never would have. Trump derangement syndrome is a real thing. I never. I never would have believed it. Uh, it, It's unfortunate that my eyes have been open to this corruption, honestly. But um, at the same time, I find myself fortunate that I am in a position to try, at least, to wake up uh, most Americans to see what's going on and filing complaints and laying it out in a clear manner. I really try with my team to state it in a clear, concise way so that you can grasp it. It's not legal jargon, uh, you know embedded in statues. We try and make the beginning of our complaints very clear and read like a documentary so that you can understand. Um, you know, there's Cash Patel, Devin Nunes, they're great people that have, they put out this uh, documentary called Spot Against the President. I don't know if you've seen it, but yes. it was fantastic. It really laid out uh, what was Based going on. Based on the book by Lee Smith. It, exactly. And, and then when you look at it, it's so jarring. I mean, it, it really is petrifying.
1: It is, and and I, I'm wondering now, uh, you know, there's a common element in all of uh, this persecution. In every instance, uh, I think that's uh, the case, almost every instance, certainly amongst the principles and this conspiracy, this plot to overthrow and to destroy the president, they've all been lawyers. What is wrong <laughs> with our legal system that that we can't permit attorneys, quote-unquote, to persecute the President of the United States without any accountability, without any constraint whatsoever, because what they're doing may not be a crime, but it is criminal. It is Mm -hmm. disgusting, it's abhorrent, and there is no leadership, no decency in this country, in any position of leadership, that compels anyone to say what we are permitting to be done to President Donald Trump is uh, immoral. It's uh, it's evil, and, and should be stopped. It's that simple. It
0: is. It is. I mean, I've never seen a president and be treated this way. What happened to the office of the presidency where you would try and arrest? a president in criminal investigations. And the idea of that is so terrible for, for something that's nothing. It doesn't even exist. It's just made up. But the problem is, Lou, that you have lawyers who are, as you said, predominantly left wing liberal mindset being governed by ethics committees that are also lawyers that are predominantly left wing, you know mindset. So there's no governing entity here.
1: And then are, you've got Are you the saying F, that, you know. are you saying that Shakespeare had it right?
0: <laughs> I think he might have had it right. <laughs> uh, I I, might, it's that.
1: I, the ABA, the, uh, the American Bar Association, supposedly the, uh, you know, the, the standard bearer for the profession. Uh, it's mm-hmm. rancid. It's corrupt. It's left wing and there is no ambiguity about it. There's no equivocation. It's who they are. How in the hell uh, could it be permitted to go on? Yeah,
0: it, it, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. All I can say is I'm doing my small part, right? I, I think that for those that have um, the grit to bear what will come to you if you do do your small part and stand up as um, a conservative as an ethical attorney and say, this is absolutely Mm -hmm. unacceptable to my profession. It's embarrassing. And when I took the oath that I took, I swore to abide by the rules and look at the rules and, and say that there is a difference between a professional, a doctor, an accountant, a lawyer, and the ethics that we swore by. And if there aren't lawyers like myself who are going to point out, No matter whether they're Hillary Clinton, no matter if it's James Comey, you have to be able to stand up and say this is wrong. It's not a Trump issue. It's a country issue. We have to do something about this. And, I, you know, Lou, you made a good point. The cards are stacked, perhaps, but the suit is not about winning. It's about getting the truth out. And I think that's something we've already done, frankly.
1: Yeah, I I think the American people do know the truth, at least most of them. Uh, I do think that as we watch uh, in, in New York, uh, the Attorney General, Letitia James, going after President Trump, uh, swearing that she's going to get him before she's even running uh, uh, for for the job to get elected, uh, it's ignorance. Uh, the, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, going after him, uh, waving one page of a, a, a Of a a tax statement on MSNBC, uh, Rachel Maddow, Uh and finding out Uh it didn't mean anything. Going after his tax uh, forms as if there's that's going to convey something. Uh, It's it's just it's madness. It's absolutely you mentioned Trump derangement syndrome. The reason I've always hated that expression is it's rationale uh, for uh, the awful behavior that we've seen by so many people, but. I I think at the same time, there has to be some truth to it. The left, it means to destroy this country. The left Mm -hmm. means to destroy our most uh, cherished institutions. And they are well on the way. They not only are in charge of the court system, the attorneys, the ABA, they're in charge of the law schools, for crying out loud, that produce the attorneys. (laughs) Uh, And no one is throttling it back. No one's asking the fundamental questions politically. How do you stop this madness? And this lawsuit, as you say, I think is a, a part of the answer uh, for this president to try to right the wrongs that have been done to him. Right. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I do think we're going to win.
0: Like I said, we have a lot of proof already, thanks to Durham's investigation. And then, the you know, just settling the um, FEC complaint that has been going on for three years that most people didn't even realize existed. Right. The the DNC and Hillary's campaign just wrote a check for failing to disclose that Perkins Coie was in fact hired to hire Fusion GPS or BIS. They just wrote a check, you know? Um, I think it's a, it's a strong case and I I wouldn't take it if I didn't think we were going to win. So you know, I, I hope I hope we do. And, and like you said, unfortunately, a lot of that has to do with the judges. I don't know if you saw we did have the magistrate judge recused herself from this case already. Um, and I, I know the current judge that's been appointed on this case is actually a, a Clinton appointee. So <laughs> we'll see what kind yeah. of shakedown we get on that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, you hope as an attorney that there are a few ethical judges left on the bench.
1: Now, as you say, uh, going into the legal system and, and you're you know, part of your the result, of course, is for the the public's right to know to be satisfied, to know what happened, uh, to lay mm-hmm. the truth before them. But that legal system, we spend a lot of money on what is a shabby contraption. Uh, the court system <laughs> is indolent. They are lazy uh, in terms of pr- the efficiency of trying cases and reaching results. Uh, for uh, complainants uh, and plaintiffs, uh, you know, you know this to be true, uh, it's, it's right. a shoddy, shoddy system. You know, there's nothing 21st, uh, there's nothing 21st t- uh, uh, century about it. Uh, and, and now with January 6, my God, uh, that's a yeah. that's a Soviet era court th- that has been yeah. convened by the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And the republicans have sat on their hands and looked uh, you know uh blind deaf and mute uh, as as they watched again an attack on citizens private citizens uh as if they were in soviet uh soviet era russia uh, right it's, again it's, it's part Texas. of the, it and it's the you know the pencil neck uh you know adam Schiff. uh he it's as if he is uh uh, like a like a snake in uh, Greek mythology, he, the more you you know, cut off his head, he, he becomes uh, you know, he's replicated over and over uh, in the Congress. Right. It's disgusting. Yeah, I'm,
0: yeah.
1: The so one blessing I,
0: is I haven't I haven't had to spend much time with them. <laughs> we get,
1: so. Well, I, I have to tell you that is a blessing. I, I've seen what it does to some of the folks who do. Uh, it's a, yeah. it's a sad, sad commentary on our country uh, and the the desperate in, uh, need in this country right now for Donald Trump in the Oval Office makes all of this, the more repugnant uh, and, and and everything that you're doing, all the more important to uh, lay the groundwork for 2024 I want to, I, I want to conclude by asking uh, really this, uh, the the question about suing outlets, you can't sue the Manhattan DA's office. I guess you can't sue the attorney general's office. But as you go about writing these wrongs, you said at the mm-hmm. outset, it might be years. Uh, is there any excuse for it taking that long legally?
0: There's no excuse. The court system in New York, admittedly, has been slow, always. I mean, it's always been a little bit behind the eight ball when it comes to speed and moving things along. Then COVID happened, uh, shut down the court system, right? So we have backlogs. We have courts that still are not having in-person conferences, trials, or on Zoom. Um, and now, you know, there's these are complicated cases. We have to go through discovery with the backlog, coupled with the COVID remnants, Right. It's just a compilation of issues that's going to create quite um, a mess in terms of timing wise. But like I said, I think on this one in particular, you can wait for discovery and that will be relatively soon, you know, within a year, we'll definitely be in the thick of discovery as long as the motions get heard. I have some cases where the motions aren't even being heard and they've been sitting for months. So we'll see. We'll see, Lou. I'm not sure. I'm not yeah, sure, I, but you know, I mean, I am suing the AG, and we are going after some of these corrupt um, entities that we want injunctive and declaratory relief from.
1: And they would be in New York.
0: <laughs> they would be in New York, and they're public, so <laughs> yeah, there you go. A hard yeah. test, right? <laughs> uh,
1: absolutely. I I just uh, have to say, Elena, it's been it's been great talking with you. We always give our guests. The, the last word on this, uh, on this show. And so I'm gonna turn it over to you to, uh, to wrap us up and your concluding thoughts.
0: Don't, under, don't underestimate Donald Trump. That would be my last words. Don't underestimate him or the people he chooses to represent him. He's a smart guy and um, he loves this country as do I. So let's hope for, for concluding some of these lawsuits and, and making America great again, really to use his own phrase.
1: Well, it's a, it's a serviceable phrase and a, a one that's uh, uh, stood him and America in good stead. We thank you for being with us and we wish you all the very best of luck. Alina Haba, the president's attorney. Tomorrow, our guest will be Michael Gableman, the special counsel for the Wisconsin Assembly investigating the state's handling of the 2020 presidential election. Gableman served on the Wisconsin State Supreme Court for 10 years. And among the conclusions of his special counsel investigation, private grant money constituted election bribery in that election. Election bribery is a crime. And Gableman called for the firing of the entire Wisconsin Election Commission and its elimination. Special counsel Michael Gabelman takes us through the Wisconsin election and the corruption that he discovered. Corruption that extends to many other states as well. So please be sure to join us tomorrow for the explosive details. And Tuesday, April 5th, another very special guest, President Donald Trump, is with us. So please join us for that special edition of The Great America Show. Thanks for being with us. Till tomorrow, God bless you, and God bless America.